Welcome to I Want That, which is a podcast that focuses on the ever-evolving world of Disney merch. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and you are... I'm entertainment writer Michelle Valladolid. And look, folks, I know, I know it's been a while since we posted a new episode of the show. The fall of 2019 was challenging, to say the least. But now it's January of 2020, the start of a brand new year, and Michelle and I are recording this show on the evening of Monday, January 6th. And Michelle, you wanted to start things off by talking about, uh, what is it, merch related to the Walt Disney World Marathon, Marathon Weekend, weekend right? Pre- presented by Cigna. At Disney Springs, they've got some, some really great uh, merchandise and, and some food, too, heavy on the carbs, of course. Mm. But if you go to Joffrey's mm-hmm. Coffee, you can get a special little Run Mickey decal, powder decal on top of your coffee. But um, all sorts of places have the, because um, you know it's all about the food, Jim, have have mm-hmm. a, extra carbs for you. But there's some really cute, there's a first-time marathoner, these pretty blue mouse ears, mouse ear cap. Mm-hmm. And... Um, some wall art. There's even a uh, Christmas ornament, even though Christmas just finished. This says uh, mm-hmm. Dopey Challenge 2020 on it, and it's shaped like Mickey ears. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put three ball, gold balls together. Magic bands, phone cases, frames, uh, finisher ear hats, um, custom mm-hmm. phone cases and magic bands. Just all sorts of things to uh, celebrate if you are running this weekend. Or if you want to uh, pretend that you ran this weekend, we 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 don't endorse that. But, but okay, <laughs> no, that's cool. That, 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 if you collect, that's run cool Disney to hear stuff. that. That this is true. This is true. And in fact, you know, that I think I've shared the story about Arlen Miller and I were there on the morning of the very first, uh, you know, uh, Walt Disney World Marathon, and we were standing next to. All of the medals, and we were so well behaved. We didn't take one. <laughs> um, but the, seriously, the, the, there was a giant stack of them. I, I, you know, uh, uh, a story for another time. And, and the weekend after uh, the Walt Disney World Marathon, uh, we have the start of the fourth Ep- annual Epcot International Festival of the Arts. Festival of the Arts. And there's some great Sorry, stuff. There is so much. There is. there is so much art. Uh, Dave Perillo, he did he did those Epcot posters mm-hmm. in at D twenty three and at the that the um, Epcot Preview Center, and he's mm-hmm. got one for Kitchen Cabaret that is on my to get list. Jared Mariama's there with his cute stuff. June Kim has uh, some Orange Bird stuff. You know how I love the Orange Bird. Okay, not to interrupt here. Yeah. But but again, but before we do the 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 sort of the the punch list, as in what people should be looking for from what artists, just a little history about uh, uh, Festival of the Arts. Uh, and uh, face it, you know what was it? The very first Flower and Garden uh, was held back in April of 1994, and then uh, what is it? Festival of the Holidays as we know it today started in November that same year, and that was because, what, they, they moved the candlelight procession uh, That's right. over That's from, right. from the Magic Kingdom to the American Garden Theaters. And then uh, Food and Wine uh, started in October of 1995. So inside of like one 18-month-long period, you know, you had three of the things that really make up what we know, you know, or the way we think of Epcot today uh, appeared. But 
there was always this chunk of time between January and uh, what mid February, late early March, before spring uh, break. You know, that's when full. Well, but also before Flower and Garden got underway. Oh, that's that, true. That, uh, yeah. With the thinking that you know we really need something else to get folks in here, and for a time, one of the ideas they were kicking around was a science-based festival uh, that would be held primarily in World Showcase. Uh, and uh, you know, the interesting thing is that this wasn't the first time that that Disney had done something at Epcot that would prim- be primarily staged in uh, Future World. Uh, they had, uh, what was it, the Epcot Center Daredevil Circus Spectacular, which uh, they set up a temporary stage on top of the the fountain at the center right. of the Communicore. Right. And, you know, had them perform there. Uh, there was also, for a time uh, in the mid-90s, they had uh, a robotics competition, uh, you know, with the idea that, the regionals were held all over the country, but the finals were actually held at Epcot. Now, do you um, remember? I, do you remember the other thing they tried before the science? Nope. The doll and teddy bear convention. Oh God! Yes. Where they yes, introduced the it. Disney bear. He had no name. Yeah, you know that's that. Wasn't that the one where they made a billion of uh, what's her name? The one teddy bear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they they had this beautiful uh, bear of teddy bear. I don't know what happened to it. Sounds of time. Yeah, I remember going to the factory outlet and they had like a solid wall of teddy bears because they they hadn't (laughs) sold. um, Anyway, uh, to pivot back to this is the special events group trying to decide what to do to fill that hole in the schedule. And... About the same time, you know, they are developing the new plan for Epcot and the whole notion that Future World will now become three different neighborhoods, uh, World Celebration, World Nature, and World Discovery. And so obviously with all that going on and all the, the you know, reimagining of, you know, interventions in the old Communicore buildings and that sort of thing, it just didn't make sense to do anything uh, in uh, the Future World section. So... That's where the Festival of the Arts came from. And, and also, uh, to be frank, you were just talking about, you know, it's all about the food. And um, they had started converting a, a lot of those temporary uh, food kitchens, uh, those, uh, you know, that are around World Showcase, into permanent installations, right. you know, permanent open kitchens. And so it's like, well, look, we got the infrastructure. You know, we really should do something around World Showcase Lagoon. So... Um, but they weren't entirely confident in the uh, Festival of the Arts idea, which is why when it debuted in 2017, it wasn't a week-long event. It was, it was only, it ran for, I want to say, three weekends, and even then it was only Friday to Monday. Uh, and what, it was built around three different artistic disciplines, culinary, visual, and performing arts. Correct. And, um so, but uh, kind of clearly caught on, and now uh, here we are in its fourth year. It's a, it runs, you know, it's running all the way from January seventeenth through February twenty fourth. And as you mentioned, uh, what you know, there's twenty eight different artists who have created pieces. Kevin John did two uh, for, amazing pieces for It's a Small World, and then Mercadata does uh, one that's called Think Tiki Thoughts, and it's the Tiki Birds plus the Orange Bird who is singing I, a tune. Yeah, I have to admit that that that's 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 a strong piece of art. 
the panty that Rob Kaz created of Figment sort of hovering over Spaceship Looking Earth, at the fireworks, uh, that's the just, oh. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a must-have. Uh, on the other hand, given that I'm such a f- big fan of the Mickey shorts that Paul Reddish and his crew do, uh, Joe Kaminsky's fist bump and, and taking a stance with Mickey, uh, right. those are fun as well. Yeah, his, um, his Cindy and Yes Dear of Bambi are cute, too. This is true. This is but true. yeah, what do you think of, of, of Jason Pell's stuff? You know those where you can make the face on your phone or a face on your phone talk like you're talking. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, no, you know what? I was I thought more about the the marquees that used to appear in front of the old Mickey films. Uh, this is true. Well, I I, I got to say the Stitch Starburst and the Genie Starburst are wonderful. Uh, you know, really I like the mind, orange bird you know, one. Eh, again, you and Orange Bird. Me I, and I Orange for me, Bird. I can uh, do not like Orange Bird. What? Um, what? On the other hand, uh, someone not like like Orange Bird. It's a uh, it it. He is no longer associated with Anita Bryant, Jim. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that he is so. Uh, you know, again, he was created for the the Florida Orange Growers Association. When Disney was trying to to convince them to sponsor uh, the Sunshine, in fact, it, it worked. It, that's the other thing. It it's not the Enchanted Tiki Room. It was the Sunshine Pavilion because again, Sunshine, Florida Sunshine, orange juice. You know, they they, they did everything Tropical they could serenade. to you know. <laughs> and, and again, his head head is an orange. All right, it's like how much that's thought so did you put into? And the little uh, leaves. Uh, anyway. Look, if you want to talk cute, for me, cute is Darren Wilson's Stitch Mad Hatter. You know that that, uh, or, or 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 for that matter, uh, you know that that if you you want Gabby Zapata's uh, everything. Well, actually, but Gabby Zapata's uh, young Carl and Ellie from Up. Yeah. You know, oh, that's a heartbreaker. You know, uh, Ashley Taylor? Taylor's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's got that wonderful sort of multiple settings from Alice in Wonderland that. Um, you know, just kind of knocked your eyes out. It's almost like one of those ride murals. And Didi uh, Chahani's, uh, there's a a wonderful piece, two pieces she's done, the uh, Mulan on horseback and baby Moana uh, cuddling with her grandmother in the surf. Uh, Both are beautiful pieces. Uh, Jason Ratner's stuff is is really great. Got a lot of details in there and lots of little hidden things to look for in there. And he actually, if you go to Twitter to at J-J-A-Y Ratner or J-A-Y-R-A-T-N-E-R at Jay Ratner, Mm -hmm. he's actually got his schedule that up there on Twitter. Oh, you know, the nice thing about this event is you, you can buy these pieces and you can get them signed by the artist. Now I have to caution here. In fact, on the PDF that, that you can uh, download, in fact, that's, Michelle and I have been consulting that as we've been chatting about the pieces that are available at this year's uh, Epcot International Festival of the Arts. Multiple times they list that warning, merchandise available while supply la- supplies last. Right. Uh, also, like when likely a lot of these pieces are going to be pricey. Um, and you know, it makes you kind of wish that you could take all those gift cards that you know you got over Christmas and apply them to you know to paying off these things. You can if you get if you get Disney cards. Uh, <laughs> if on the other hand you're stuck with Amazon cards, uh. um, 
I, Michelle and I actually have a, a, a recommendation, by the way, if you, if you have some leftover Amazon cards. And, and this comes by way of a, a family friend, uh, Gina Marie, and her husband, Alex, who have been enjoying the Disney Villainous. Uh, this is a strategic tabletop board game that uh, Wonderforge created. Yeah, I, I hear nothing but good things about it. Sometime well, when I have a clear table, I'll of, play it. Okay. Well, it's got kind of a unique idea. The The idea is that each player gets to play a different Disney villain. And, you know, and, and you know, actually there's a slogan on the outside of the box that says, the worst takes it all, which which kind of sums up what Disney Villainous is about. So, uh, original version of the game, uh, your choices of characters are Captain Hook from Peter Pan, uh, Prince John from Robin Hood, the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland, Maleficent from uh, Sleeping, Beauty. Sleeping Beauty, yeah, uh, Ursula the Sea Witch from uh, Little Mermaid, and finally Jafar from Aladdin. And what's kind of interesting about this game is that each villain has a different objective that they're trying to achieve over the course of the game. And what's kind of cool is this objective is basically the exact same thing that the character wanted in the film that they came from. And whoever manages to achieve that, whether it's, you know, Jafar becoming Sultan on high or, you know, the, the, Ursula, you know, getting the trident and the crown and becoming controlling all of the seas. Once you achieve that, you win. Um, and, and what's especially fun about the, this game, which, by the way, is for, for uh, suitable for players 10 and up is that you, you're given fate cards. So if, for example, you know, someone across the table is that much closer to winning than you are, you can deal them a fate card and you know, knock them back a few pegs, you know, that, that set them back in, the, in their, their, their quest. This game hit the market back in 2018, became hugely popular, and wound up winning Game of the Year right. at last year's Toy of the Year Awards. You're right. And when you have a success, you capitalize on it. So Wonderforge has put out two expansion packs, a Wicked to the Core, where you get to play as Dr. Facilier from Princess and the Frog, Hades from Hercules, or the Evil Queen from Snow White. Uh, there's also the Evil Comes Prepared edition of the game, where you can play... And, and I, I love this one in particular, because Professor Radigan from The Great Mouse Detective. I love and Yzma... Yeah, uh, Isma from uh, Emperor's New Groove, uh -huh. and, and of course, then Scar. Scar Wrong from lever. Um, the other thing that, frankly, is really impressive about the Disney villainous games is they're they're beautifully designed. They've they've got, for example, wonderfully stylized game pieces that are are kind of abstract in design, but they immediately get across, um, you know, they, they, who the character is. In fact, it's it's so funny if you, if you know Robin Hood. And you know Prince John. The, the crown that he wears in the film is so distinct that, I, you know, as I was just doing the research in the game, and before I even knew Prince John was in the game, I saw this bright yellow piece with the crown on it. And it's like, wow, that looks like Prince John's uh, crown from, from Robin Hood. And sure enough, he was in the game. The game pieces are so beautifully designed and so on model from the Disney films that what's <laughs> this weird kind of offshoot for the game... Uh, Ravensburger AG, which is the market leader for European jigsaw puzzles, mm -hmm. they've created the set of a thousand piece puzzles 
which is made up entirely of the, the, the great on-model character art that Wonderforge created for each of the Disney villains from the first edition of Disney Villainous. So uh, there's a thousand-piece puzzle for Ursula, Captain Hook, Jafar, Queen of Hearts, Maleficent, and Prince John. And these things are honestly, when they're completely disassembled, they're so handsome, you're going to want to hang them on your wall. Um, now, mind you, uh, Ravensburger hasn't done jigsaw puzzles yet for the, the expansion sets. The evil comes prepared or wicked to the core. Uh, but it's worth noting that both of those expansion games actually are perfectly playable as standalone games all by themselves. Oh, wow. Uh, but on the other hand, you, you can then mix them in to the original Worst Takes It All. So, again, thanks to Alex and Gina for, for sort of putting this on my radar. And like I said, uh, well worth if you got some Amazon you know, gift cards lying around, you know, snagging one or two of these. Now, if you have Disney um, gift anyway. cards, there are also workshops that you can do. Mm-hmm. And one of them is Disney 3D Paper Crafting with Dave Avanzino. And that's Sunday, January 19th. Uh, Right now it is showing as sold out, but there might be standby available, so double check. This is the guy who does that great uh, paper craft with the the mostly letters and words. Just amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. Loved going into the Disney gallery and seeing Dave's stuff on display there. Um, anyway, we, we were talking about Maleficent just a, a while back there, the villain from Sleeping Beauty. Disney Studios celebrated the 60th anniversary of the release of, of uh, that full-length animated feature just last year, which initially arrived in theaters back in January, uh, January 29th, 1959 to be exact. To me, to think that Disney actually celebrates this film, because let's be honest here, anybody who knows their, their, their Disney history, Michelle, knows that Walt Disney Animation Studios was never the same after Sleeping Beauty came out. Right. Um, it was, what, the first ever Disney film to be done in, or I want to get this name right because it's so stupid, Super Technorama 70 millimeter widescreen. Um, you know, and, and, you know, this, you know, to, in order to, to do an animated film in that format, Sleeping Beauty was, you know, moved very slowly through the production process was, you know, ridiculously expensive. The studio spent, spent what, $6 million back in the the 1950s, which was a huge amount of money. Uh, and the film actually lost money on its initial theatrical release, uh, so much so that uh, Walt Disney Studios had a huge layoff in, in, in 1959. And I, I, I've yeah, always see, and, heard and them say... From, from what you hear from people, these are things that only happen mm-hmm. post-Eisner. That, that, and that's an excellent point. Uh, but as Natalie Holt reveals in her, her new book, The Queens of Animation, the untold story of the women who transformed the world of Disney and made cinematic history, that, that uh, Little Brown published that back in October of last year. She's the first person I've ever seen put a number on how many people lost their jobs, Michelle, and she's got it that the studio fired all but 75 of the 550 artists and animators oh. who were working at Disney at that time. Whoa. Uh, and w- and worse, worse, uh, she's got you know this direct quote from the book. It was the nine old men who went through the records of the animation department and decided which lucky artists could stay 
oh. and which had to leave. Oh. And, and that's the thing. You know, if you and I went to Mark and Atlas Davis's house multiple times and talked to them about all sorts of topics. I don't remember this ever coming up. No. Um, but the, the other thing, frankly, again, that, that Sleeping Beauty lost over a million dollars during its original theatrical release. And, you know, so, again, for me, it's just it's kind of startling that this is a film that the studio would even circle back on, let alone celebrate. And um, clearly there were a lot of people at the studio who were sensitive about Sleeping Beauty. It, was, it sat in the vault. From uh, again, uh, you know, after its release in February of '59, it didn't go back out into theaters again till June of 1970. So, more than a decade, um, and uh, it was re-released again in September of '79, uh, a third time in March of '86. Uh, that's and what I thought for the final... first time. Did you really? Yeah. Okay, because I've, I've been trying to. They also mentioned. It was released in 1995 theatrically, and I, I can't pin down when that was exactly. But well, uh, it was it was, it was one of um, Disney's first films that was released on Betamax. So 87, 88 or so, maybe 89. So maybe this is one of the films they learned the hard way that you couldn't re-release a film to theaters after it had been on uh you know the vhs and, and beta that you know the the audience you know that that, that suddenly the the seven re-release every seven years plan wasn't going to work yeah. now that they were on vhs and beta yeah but i but again supposedly it was only after the 1995 release that sleeping beauty finally officially turned a profit wow and which reminds me, there's this story I just, I love uh, about Walt. That um, uh, that interview he did with Peter Martin in the summer of 1956. Uh, this was for a series of articles that would eventually appear in the Saturday Evening Post. But it's a lot of the stories that we attribute to, Doc, you know, to Walt today. The, you know, the daddy's, <laughs> daddy's day story about going to the carousel in yeah. Griffith Park and that sort of thing. These actually came out of that interview session with Pete Martin. Okay. And so, but anyway, so Walt's sitting at his desk and he's talking with Pete, but he's also going through his inbox. You know, he, he looks at a report and literally in the middle of it goes, son of a bitch, Fantasia's finally in the black. And, you know, and, 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 and but again, like Sleeping Beauty, it, you know, uh, the original Fantasia came out in November of 1940 and it took three re-releases. January of 42, September of 46, and finally February of, of 1956, before Disney's infamous concert feature finally managed to eke out a profit. So, again, in a lot of ways, Disney has an, or at least had an advantage when they could do this, when they could re-release, take their films out of the vault and re-release them. That even a film that didn't necessarily, you know, make any money or, or you know, you know, recover all of its costs. During its initial theatrical run, you could put it out a few more times and eventually get there. But uh, back to Sleeping Beauty now. The film's title character literally is a snooze. I mean, it just she's she's my least favorite Disney princess because she does nothing. You know, I mean, it's just what what she dances with 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 owls. You know, it's it's, it's that was the first draft of Dancing with Wolves. Uh, Maleficent, <laughs> on the owls. other hand. Um, 
She I, she built up quite the fandom uh, over you know the the, the, the past <laughs> 50, 60 years and well that's part uh, of the, so much so the that genius she, of Mark Davis and what's interesting I was just reading about Mark working on Maleficent and what Mark realized is what really made her scary was stillness yeah that you know you know the fact that you know Maleficent would you know that they would often just stand still and other characters would react to her. That, you know, and she, she never like, really screamed or shouted or anything until the very end. No, that, that's it exactly. And, and, that but at the same menace. time, just to think about how he followed that movie with Cruella de Vil, and Cruella never stands still. No. She's always on the move. You know, but, but again, that, that was the thing with Mark. He... he he, you know, took this, this, you know, he, he, the, you know, almost granular approach to each character and arrived at, you know, the best way to do, you know, its performance to make, the, you know, that character have the, the greatest impact. But built up such a, a fandom that uh, come May of 2014, we got the live action, you know, kind of Disney's version of Wicked, where we get the backstory of right. why Maleficent was the way she was. Um, and that did surprisingly well when it was out in theaters. It made three quarters of a billion dollars, so much so uh, it got its own sequel, uh, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, which arrived in theaters October of last year. Didn't the sequel wasn't necessarily the well, here's equal a, here's as far a fun as ticket fact. sales. It what? it premiered on the ship when Alice and I were on our four night uh, Disney Dream Cruise. Really? Yes. So they're on the boat while you're out on the water. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Isn't that cool? Um, the same the same cool. moment that it premiered on on land, it premiered at sea. Uh, it would have been lovely to see it under those circumstances, especially in I the I actually theater. went you, in and, and watched a little bit of it, but just a few minutes because we were so busy doing everything else. Everything else. Yeah, but sounds, I can say like that I saw place. at least part of it. When everything was total up, uh, ticket sales for Maleficent, uh, 490 million worldwide. So, uh, roughly, you know, it, it did about two thirds of the business of the original Maleficent. And, uh, you know, the merch program to support Mistress of Evil was a, was a interesting. Freaky. Um, I have, yeah. I have less than two feet away from me, a mm -hmm. bath bomb with Maleficent horns mm -hmm. on it. Okay. Well, you know, I, had, I had surgery. I'm not allowed to take a bath. But when I'm allowed to take a bath, I'm going to use that sucker. And, and so getting into a bathtub with something that, that's sharp and pointy. I, no, no. It's okay. it's round. It has them imprinted into them. Oh, oh, my mistake. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's just the entire merchandise program for Maleficent Mistress of Evil is it's kind of interesting. They've got a couple of jewelry pieces that... Have Maleficent's horned headpiece. There's a I run this castle pajama set. Uh, a curses don't end, they break t-shirt. A sequin cap that features Maleficent's horns. The one piece that I came across, we visited the Disney store for their twice a year sale uh -huh. uh, after Christmas. And I, do you know that Disney animators collection, the one that, that sort of reimagines all the princesses as toddlers? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, they've got a, I guess, out ahead of the release of Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, Disney's Consumer Products had a vinyl figure created of Maleficent, but again, 
done in the style of the Disney Animator Collection. So it's a Mistress of Evil, but is a toddler. Right, but but remember, uh, and it, they also have the blanket baby of Maleficent. Do they really? Yeah, you know those those stuffed animals that that have the little blanket that wraps around them, and they're Disney characters as toddlers. They have a Maleficent oh. one, a baby Maleficent. And it's okay. very green I, and adorable. I mean, kind of creepy. I, adorable. I, I was about to say, nothing quite says that I think well of you and your baby. Like, here, put this in the crib with them. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they'll be fine. By the way, we're talking about uh, Maleficent Mistress of Evil. The Blu-ray, DVD, and digital code version of that uh, goes on sale January 14th. And... <laughs> Um, again, I didn't get to see this this film when it was out in theaters, but FedEx delivered my review copy earlier today, and I, I promise I'll take a look see it. You will, at fairly you will shortly. hate Michelle Pfeiffer in twelve different ways when you see this, because okay. she did such a good That's job. Interesting. Okay, she's um, she's really well, she's awful. <laughs> she, I mean, she does a great job. Her performance is okay, is but. Great. But what won't be awful is the stories we'll share on the second half of the show, which we'll get to after this commercial break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, following the world's worst transition to a commercial. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, we were just talking about January 17th. Uh, and again, that's the opening day of the International Festival of the Arts at Epcot. But uh, that's not the only thing that's going on that day. That's also the day... That Star Wars Rise of the Resistance opens at Disneyland Hello, Park. Hello, baby. Um, so are we going to try to be there for opening day? What oh, is the plan, Michelle? That, you know, my invitation got lost in the mail again. Well. Ever since um, I started writing I, I, for Mice Chat. They keep getting lost in the mail. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's any consolation. I'm not getting invites either, but that's that's because I'm working with Mr. Tessa these days. But that's okay. Uh -oh. You know, that. that um, Lynn's a, Lynn's uh, a good know, guy. But, He's worth it. Okay, face it, given the huge crowds that we have been seeing in Florida, you know, those folks standing on, uh, you know, Hollywood Boulevard, face down on their phones at 7 o'clock in the morning trying to get boarding groups, um, you got to assume we're going to see something similar happen uh, in, in Anaheim. Uh, now, mind you, you know, Dogs Disneyland. Dogs and cats living and together in mass hysteria. There you go. Thank you, Ghostbusters. <laughs> um Look, you know, but look, the Disneyland Resort has been getting ready for this. They actually began uh, prepping as far out as 2017. Right. That's Project when Stardust. What, projects, right, uh, got underway with uh, widening sidewalks and removing curbs. Um, in fact, and it, it, turning stores into restaurant up? seating and stroller parking. Mm -hmm. Like they did in Adventureland, uh, just amazing stuff. The uh, Tomorrowland entrance thing—that's still ongoing. Yeah, right? it's they, still they all the all the, the French fries are gone. Ah, there we go. I was just reading about it on Mice Chat this morning. Uh, they mm -hmm. they took down the uh, the scrims and the sculptures at the entrance of Tomorrowland mm -hmm. are fully restored and silver and beautiful. 
Okay. People were afraid they were going to take them out or paint them purple or something, but no, it's they really did a beautiful job. Well, I'll have to go check that out. Definitely. And let's be honest here. We miss Not all of the prep work for Star Wars Galaxies was actually done inside of Disneyland Park. Um, Back in February of 2018, we actually got them uh, beginning work on a reimagining of the World of Disney store out in downtown Disney Anaheim. Uh, with the idea of reconfiguring the, the store so it had a far more open atmosphere with some unique themed areas. And um, that brand new version of the, the World of Disney opened on October 26th of 2018. And one day later, on the exact opposite side of the country in Orlando, uh, World of Disney store at Disney Springs reopened uh, October 27th, 2018. And uh, weird. It also uh, closed in in February in, in sort of a, a phased format for this reimagining, and um, I couldn't help but think of, of you, Michelle, because remember back when you covered uh, the press event, the twenty fifth anniversary, for the twenty first yeah. anniversary of Walt Disney World. One of the things they did is they walked you folks through the still under construction. World of Disney at downtown uh, at at downtown Disney. Do you remember what that was like? Or not much. Um, I remember uh, really uh, being impressed with all the uh, steampunk looking uh, artwork that they had and the theming of each room. Um, mm-hmm. That the villains were given the treasure room with all of the expensive jewelry and such, and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, to be honest, I like it better now. It's easier to find things. And uh, I think you told me a story about uh, people in ECVs. Am I right? Yeah. they. In fact, the, the new design of, of both of the World of Disney's, uh, and, and for to a lesser extent, the work that was recently done at Mickey's of Hollywood at Disney's Hollywood Studios, um, they really simplified the design, and more to the point, they really cleaned out the aisles uh, to make it that much easier for guests who were uh, who traveled through the parks in ECVs to negotiate the stores and to be able to to view the merchandise. That uh, this evidently was something that they got a lot of guest uh, letters about. They got complaints at guest relations. And, you know, with this recent set of redos, they decided to, to go, you know, to address that issue. But uh, to pivot back to, to World of Disney for just a little bit here, um, again, when that opened to the public in October of, of 1996, uh, this, again, the world's largest character, uh, the largest character shop in the world, right? 51,000 square feet. Uh, the Anaheim version, which opened in February of 2001 as part of uh, California Adventure, slightly smaller, 40,000 square feet. And, you know, what's kind of interesting is you mentioned the steampunk thing, that they they had these, uh, well, on the outside of the building, they had the all of those airships that were piloted by, like, what, Mickey and Minnie and Tweedledum and Tweedledee, and I want to say the nephew? Yeah, Am I yeah, you were doing Louis. Okay, and then inside the building, they also had eight other fantasy airships. Uh, in fact, I was, was kind of surprised today when I was doing my due diligence out ahead of recording the show to see John Smith from Pocahontas. Um, he piloted an airship inside D- the building? He did? I don't think... It, I, there's a photo. 
He must have. Okay. I don't um, remember that. But but, but yeah, so they But were I never saw some, I never saw World of Disney mm-hmm. completed at Walt Disney World, oh, only at Disneyland. Yeah, because as described here, some of the, the there were eight fantasy uh, airships inside the building. Some of them were as big or as long as as, as twenty feet in length. Um, and again, we there, there were ten different themed rooms: the the magic room with uh, sleepwear, uh, the 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 big uh, they refer to it as the great hall in the rotunda. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I, I think you may recall that in addition to the airships, they had this artwork, uh, you know, that went around oh, yeah, the ceiling. Yeah. That sh- That's that, some that beautiful artwork. Mickey, My favorite was the yeah, map Mickey room. To- well, yeah, the, the, the map room was what? Where the, the paper was. It, uh, stationery, Disney souvenirs, that sort of thing. Stuff you put on your desk. Uh, uh, and they then, had to change that map several times over the past few years. Yeah. If you and I mean by twenty five, yeah, because they had um, they had Mickey heads wherever there was a Disney park, oh, in that's Tokyo right. and Los that's Angeles right. and Florida, and the newest one in France. I had forgotten about that. Um, uh, some of these rooms, you know, again, I guess to the right of the map room was the bird room, which I guess because it's woman's apparel, I didn't spend much time in there. Uh, but the villains room. I, you know, I, I always love going in the villain's room because of the the watch cases that were shaped like I liked, the crocodile. I, you know how when you get off the doom buggy at the Haunted Mansion, they have those arms that hold out and hold the candles? Like from the old oh, Beauty God, and the those Beast? Were in there. They had That's things right. like that, but they had watches on and stuff. You know, when they began thinking about redoing the world of Disney's, uh, the, you know, as, as far out as 2016, 2017... Uh, they began designing and developing, uh, you know, a new look. And uh, did you know that it's I, supposed I, I, to be like a train station? I've heard that story. And I, I saw you know, some the... of the the signage, and I was oh, like, no, no, oh. Me. Okay, is it supposed to be a train station in Orlando and a bus station in Anaheim? I, I, I think it's. Supposed I know to be a I've train heard station bus station. Both. Maybe you know, bus station uh, in Orlando. They've got so many dang buses there. Well, Alicia Kelly, who's the vice president of visual merchandising, and look. Location strategy at the, the Walt Disney Parks and Resorts. Uh, she talked about the, the redo of the World of Disney. And she said that we saw World of Disney as an opportunity to reimagine what Disney retail is today. Uh, the new store design highlights the best of what is current and new, but also celebrates classic Disney heritage based on storytelling. And, um, you know, Honestly, what they did here is they decided that uh, the airships and, you know, the very busy earlier design with the, the 10 different rooms, um, it was distracting. It was just disorienting. There was eight to, different dead ends. Well, you know, I mean, you got in there this past trip, right? Um, what did you think of the revamped world of Disney? Well, actually, I didn't get in, but I can tell you what I think of the one at Disneyland. Okay. Which, I love it. I love it. You can see across the store. I can find Noah anywhere. And I really Mm -hmm. love that they moved in the uh, magic pictures from the cruise ships, that they have those there on the walls. And they have... But that's it. That's it, exactly. They have some nice homages to Disney history Uh, They have... What they went with here is... They describe it as an open 
loft-style atmosphere with great visibility. So in theory, a guest can see a product from across the room uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, and, you know, fall in love and go buy it. But the very thing you described, the, uh, the magic pictures or uh, the cash wraps, supposedly the idea with the cash wrap is that each of them is one of the animation desks that one of the nine old men used. Right. And that if you go up to it, they have drawings of the characters that they did. So uh, obviously the, the, the Mark Davis one would be one to seek out because, you know, between Maleficent, Cruella, Alice, Cinderella, uh, Thumper, you know, there'd be a lot going on there. Um, but yeah, now we talked earlier, we kind of teased what's going on at Disney's Hollywood Studios because, again, they also were getting their own Galaxy's Edge. And they felt that they needed, like Disneyland, to sort of retool their retail setup. So uh, starting back in February of this year, or just this past year, 2019, uh, the Planet Hollywood Superstore that was there on Sunset closed. And the, the reason they did that is they were looking to, ex, you know, a, a, this. they'd long had plans to expand uh, I, into I the Legends of I didn't hear anything about any uh, last day meetup or anything for that. That's kind of unusual. Uh, well, again, you know, the, the, you know, face it, the Planet Hollywood got that store on, on Sunset Boulevard is kind of a gimme for agreeing to build their Planet Hollywood restaurant uh, right next door to uh, Pleasure Island. Right. You know, and again, didn't that open in 96 as well? Yeah. Um, you know, December of 96. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, March uh, 1st of, of 2019, Keystone Clothiers and Legend of Hollywood's Clothes. And then on May 14th, Mickey's of Hollywood. The, the, that theme park's equivalent of the Emporium Closes. And then uh, August 23rd, uh, Legends of Hollywood reopens with, as we mentioned, uh, the ECV-friendly design with, you know, cleaner, wider aisles, you know, easier, you know, for folks to negotiate or, or just to actually see the merch they want to yeah, buy. Yeah, we, we went in there, um, looked at some dresses okay. and things, and it is, it's it's nice and wide open and clean, and you can find stuff easily. Well, but the one that I love, the the smart, I, I feel like the, the, the really smart thing that they did was Keystone Clothiers, which uh, opened on August 29th, which would coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, the exact same day that Galaxy's Edge opened at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Right. And um, what they've done there is, I, for, to my way of thinking, at least from a merch point of view, is brilliant in that when you go into the store now, it's all Star Wars merchandise. See, and I, and wish, I wish they would do that at Disneyland. If you want something from Batu and... You didn't get it. You have to hell it all the way back to the back of the park to get it. That's that's the brilliance of, of what they've done here is that, again, you saw something but two and you're now walking out of the park at the end of the night and you regret it. And it's like you 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 wander into Keystone Clothiers and it's there. It's there again. So you in 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 theory, Disney's, you know, gives you a second bite of the apple. So you're right. I, I, I going forward, especially after Rise of the Resistance opens. I'm going to be genuinely intrigued to see if Disneyland does this, if they, they pick a shop and, uh, well, I guess the other problem is, is frankly, think about it. You know, for the Disneyland version of Galaxy's Edge, you have three different entrances and exits. You've got, you, you know, your Bear Country ent- exit, 
You've got your mid-trail uh, Big Thunder uh, trail entrance, and then you've got your... The Discovery your entrance, Bay entrance. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you've got your, your Fantasyland, you know, old uh, Big Thunder ranch entrance. But none yeah. of which are marked. Um, I noticed hmm. at the studios they have signs that point you to Galaxy's Edge. At Disneyland there is hmm. no such animal. And... I've seen on more than one occasion people with maps looking confused because they can't find Star Wars land. To be fair, we were just talking about how Project Stardust is continuing and they're doing that work on that Tomorrowland entrance. So maybe, you know, as they're buttoning this stuff, stuff up, we'll see more signage or more to the point, you know, that, that second bite of the apple thing for, for Bet 2. I hope so. Uh, but while we're talking about uh, changes in retail, uh, we should mention, in fact, given that we started the show you know, today talking basically about the International Festival of the Arts at Epcot, Mouse Gear at uh, Epcot closed. Now, didn't, but didn't uh, they open uh, a, like a temporary tent Mouse Gear or something did. today? Well, no, 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 they actually did something interesting. They have they moved. It's not the same you know, setup, certainly, and it's certainly not the... The, the same amazing array of merch. Uh, you may remember they had, uh, what, that Glidden paint thing, right. and they had that model home. That's the space they've moved into. That, okay. That it's, you know, people walk out the door. Because if you uh, go on this Twitter, it's, it's like they opened a tent on the lawn. Again, <laughs> you know, it's I never Twitter. liked the if name they, Mouse Gear. If they can be negative, they'll be negative. I never, so. I never thought it fit Epcot very well. I really liked the old name, the Centorium. Rhymes with Emporium. Mm. It just no, had more that. of a futuristic and feel. So I wonder what they're no. going to call it this time when they open it. We just talked about the Star Wars Merchant Keystone Clothiers, which had a wide variety of stuff that you can find at Black Spire Outpost. But what doesn't it have a wide variety of? Mandalorian merch, specifically the Baby Yoda stuff. Now, uh, uh, Michelle, it, it, you guys, of course, have been watching The Mandalorian, which debuted uh, oh, on yeah. Disney Plus back on November 12th. And uh, Baby Yoda, the child, uh, quickly became the breakout character from that show. Um, right. There's no merchandise. Yeah. And that's supposedly a deliberate choice. As I understand it, John Favreau, the creator of this Lucasfilm limited series, he wanted Baby Yoda to be a surprise at the end of Chapter 1 of The Mandalorian. That, by the way, is... Well, it turns out that the lion's share of the leaks about characters that they were getting, mm. that was getting out to the public, was because of toy sales. Yeah, it, it, previously that, that, that has been an issue. And face it, you know... And the, even, even, you know, people who work for toy manufacturers are leaking pictures of the products months before they're released. Mm -hmm. So just be and it gives away story beats. Just to be clear here, uh, what we're dealing with here was not a, a reprise of what happened with Thinkway Toys back in 1995. For those of you who don't remember, uh, that was when that Canadian-based toy company, uh, you know, it, what was it? All of the major toy manufacturers back in 94, 95 had taken a look at Pixar's Toy Story and said, "Nah." You know, so yeah. Uh, so Thinkway was the only one that was willing to take a flyer on Pixar's first film and, and make toys. And as I understand it, they were only able to, given the limited time, 
uh, I want to say they 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 cut the deal uh, at what uh, Toy Fair uh, that that event they hold in New York every uh, winter. But there was so little lead up time available to get you know the toys designed and then manufactured that they were only able to make two hundred fifty thousand Woodies and just fifty thousand Buzzes. Uh, and have those ready out ahead of the original Toy Story, which was released to theaters in November of 95. And uh, all of those toys uh, flew off of store shelves uh, like within a week. Of, oh, yeah. yeah. It was crazy. And There was some Tickle Me Elmo level stuff there. Yeah, it was. It was. And do you want to tell the story about David Schiller and Thomas Tappender? Oh, yeah. They actually... Ta- our friends David Schiller and Thomas Taffender actually got hold of a Woody and a Buzz. And the day that the Toy Story Parade debuted at then Disney MGM Studios, um, they marched right behind the uh, closing rope with those, and they got so many offers. They got so many offers they could have been rich, but no, they they decided to hold on to them. That sounds very much like David and Thomas. <laughs> what happened, what's been happening with the Mandalorian is different. This was a deliberate decision, uh, to, you know, by the production team to hold back on the creation of child, the child products until after the Mandalorian. Which man- apparently does have a name. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Well, that's. Taika Waititi said. Yeah. That what is it that, that it he, has a name, but he, he's going to let the, John Favreau reveal what that is, and and, right. and when he, and whatever John decides that works for the story. So again, no product. And a weird sort of way, this is kind of a throwback to, uh, to what happened with the original Star Wars movie. Uh, you know, both when you got the great uh, vouchers. Yeah, they, they the Christmas under the tree from Santa. Yeah, that that the I think they were called the <laughs> Star Wars Early Bird Certificate from Kenner. Uh, which was a polite way of saying, hi, your Christmas present gets here sometime in 1978. Just like what happened in, in the summer of 77 when, when 20th Century Fox and Lucas scrambled to get a, a toy deal in place. Uh, by December 27th of this year, uh, Funko, Mattel, and Hasbro all announced that they had Mandalorian toys in the work, especially, uh, specifically t- child-related items. And uh, what, there's a seven and a half inch tall uh, baby Yoda coming from Hasbro. Um, supposed to retail for twenty four ninety nine, and is supposed to say 10 phrases, which is... What? Well, see, now that caught my attention as well, because... Baby- what does it say? It- I mean, it says, ah! <laughs> Burbles? I don't know. I, did, did it make a noise before <laughs> it ate the frog? Um... <laughs> <laughs> speaking of which, that, made one after. Yeah, I guess so. Speaking of which, though, that that this uh, seven and a half inch baby Yoda talk comes with its own bone broth bowl, as well as a one eyed frog. I, I'm assuming to munch on. Uh, <laughs> Hasbro also has announced that they're producing six different baby Yoda action figures, each of them positioned in a memorable pose from season one of Mandalorian. Uh, so like. The little resin type, very much. They so. don't move, yeah. right? Uh, Not jointed. Well, <laughs> what what did Kevin Smith call those in-action figures? Uh, in-action figures. There we go. That's right. Okay, so these are aimed uh, at the Star Wars collectors market. Uh, they're two and a quarter inch high, and they'll retail for seven ninety nine. Uh, Mattel, on the other hand, has an eleven inch Baby Yoda coming. That'll have a vinyl head and a plush body. Uh, again, twenty four ninety nine. That seems to be 
the price points. Uh, in fact, what's interesting is the Disney store uh, also plans on selling an all-plush version of the child. Uh, seen photos of this one, and it's actually a very good likeness of Baby Yoda using fabric. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it on Mice Chat, and I was like, "That's nice. That's really good. That's really good <laughs> for fabric." But again, twenty-four ninety-nine. Uh, Funko, on the other hand, uh, is planning two different uh, bobbleheads of the child. There'll be a regular size bobblehead. Uh, this product's intended for Target and Walmart. Uh, price range. Uh, Ninety nine ninety nine to twelve ninety nine. I guess uh, you know these big boxes will decide what that number is based on demand. But they're already warning customers who pre-order this item uh, that it's restricting sales to one per customer. So I, I think the assumption is that this is going to be a hot toy. And then Funko also has a ten inch uh, child bobblehead. Uh, that one's going to have a twenty nine ninety nine price point. Um, and, and it's great. It's great to hear that all this stuff is headed to the, to, to the marketplace. The downside is everything's being produced overseas, and they're then going to be shipped back to the States on the cheapest possible form of transportation. Not the slow boat to China, but rather the slow-moving container ship that's coming from China. They anticipate that the, the bulk of the stuff is it starts heading stateside in February, and then won't hit stores, shelves, till sometime in the spring. In fact, in most cases, uh, these child toys won't enter retail channels till April. Um, well, it's still before this new season starts in, in uh, fall. That This is true. This is true. But uh, it's worth noting here that the, uh, certain Mandalorian items that could be produced quickly, like, say, clothing or print-on-demand items like smartphone cases, magic bands, and magnets... Uh, began to appear in the Disney parks within a, a month of the Mandalorian debuting on Disney Plus, and um, I, I don't know if you, you, you've gotten to the park to see these in person or. I... No, I I saw um, on Mice Chat mm -hmm. they have they actually have a um, a merchandise columnist mm -hmm. uh, Natalie Kipper. Mm -hmm. She uh, did a really good uh, post about all of the Baby Yoda merchandise, and some of the stuff is great. There's a like a spirit jersey, mm -hmm. but on the front it has that seam across the chest, and it looks like the child is tucked in. Yes, to the seam. Yep, uh, that's going for sixty nine ninety nine, and I want to say, and it's so cute. It is cute. Uh, it's so cute. I want to say on the East Coast uh, that popped up at uh, Mouse Gear back on December twenty eighth. That mm -hmm. same Mandalorian spirit jersey is supposedly available in Elias and Company. Uh, that's that, that shop on Buena Vista Street in right. uh, Disney California Adventure. The very first stuff that showed up in the parks, uh, this was December 11th, the two launch bays on both coasts. Uh, the the on-demand phone cases. Right. Uh, they, those, uh, what are they, those were $29 a piece, uh, $34 if you wanted it personalized. Uh, likewise, I don't know if you've seen the car magnets that feature Baby Yoda. I've seen the the one that says the child on board that has the little frog on the top. Yeah, and it's another one that says that my child can levitate your child. Uh, but the, I love it. That, that go both of those go for fifteen dollars a piece. But again, if you want that car magnet personalized, that's an additional three dollar charge. Uh, East Coast, if you want a magic band, my my child. 
comma, Rory can levitate your child? I don't know what to tell you. I just, <laughs> I, I'm just providing the information, folks. Uh, okay. Also, uh, East Coast, if you wanted a magic band featuring the child, uh, that was uh, uh, available again for the magic number of twenty four ninety nine. I, I think that is that has now officially become the new nine ninety nine. Where you know, if something's twenty five dollars, it sounds like a lot of money, but twenty four ninety nine, eh, kind of interesting. They are trying to put out some Mandalorian merch that really is the Mandalorian. Uh, for example, on December 14th, the Star Wars Galactic Outpost, uh, at Disney Springs began offering a zip-up Mandalorian bounty hunter hooded sweatshirt, which comes with removable capes. I, I don't think Ed Mode would approve of this. Uh, no, she wouldn't. No capes. Okay. But the adult size is $54.99. The kid size is $46.99. And if you want this one, uh, I understand that Shop Disney is making it available. But again, you, you, you get the idea. There's a, a lot of T-shirts and there's the on-demand stuff. You being the queen of, the, the, of all things tiki, um, have you heard about this, the child drink that's on the secret menu at Trader Sam's? Yes, I have. And I've seen pictures of it and I've heard it's really good. Okay, so, okay, just walk me through this. So again, the drink itself is supposedly made out of Rum and Midori liquor, so that's what makes it green. Um, mm -hmm. So how did they do the ears? Two of the dark cherries. Okay, well, those are the eyes. Uh, you know, the, right. But the ears. And then two how, limes. Oh, okay. Two limes. And then... Lime segments. I, I want to say I've seen a couple of versions where they do a square... They wrap the napkin around the bottom? Yeah, that, that, so that's the robe. But there's also, mm -hmm. I forget, there's a red liqueur that sometimes they smear in the glass to make the mouth. Um, oh, yeah? No, I hadn't seen that. Okay, so as I understand it, it's a very sweet cocktail that's uh, pineapple and cocoa, uh, coconut flavored. Any idea what this costs? Midori is melon. Okay, melon flavored. All right, well, again, I could, I, I'm just telling you what... You know, folks are saying, you know, about the flavor. So you need to come out here. We'll go and we'll do some research. Eh. Very important research for uh, the podcast. Yes, the, you know, that will end us up both in the Betty Ford Center. Um, okay, <laughs> uh, before we wrap up here, talking about Baby Yoda, it's hard for me as somebody who makes a living writing about Disney history to not notice the parallels between The Mandalorian and those Davy Crockett shows that aired on ABC during the first season or two of the Disneyland TV series? I mean, think about it. Both were limited series. Uh, season one of The Mandalorian was only eight episodes. And Davy Crockett, if you, you count the three that were done for season one of the Disney television show, uh, Davy Crockett, Indian Fighter, Davy Crockett Goes to Congress, and Davy Crockett, The Alamo. And then the two additional ones that were done for the second season of the Disneyland TV show, Davy Crockett's Keelboat Race and Davy Crockett and the River Pirates. That's a total of, of five episodes. And... Um, even with that limited number of episodes, eight episodes and five episodes, both of them became white hot pop cultural phenomena. And in both cases, Disney consumer products just wasn't ready to meet the public's demand when it came to toys. For these, no, I think I think somebody said Baby Yoda to them, and they were like, "Where do we sign?" But you just couldn't <laughs> if you wanted to keep it secret. Yeah. Get out this, but what's it's so funny that if you you, you look back to '54, in fact, the very first Davy Crockett 
airs on December 15th, 1954, 10 days out from Christmas of that year. And every little boy, or and a lot of little girls, you know, uh, you know, watched that TV show and immediately wanted a coonskin cap. A lot of entrepreneurially spirited Americans were perfectly willing to, to produce. In fact, what's kind of oh, yeah. what's kind of interesting is if you think about the number of cease and desist letters that Disney sent out to people, uh, you know, who were you know selling their crocheted baby Yodas through Etsy. Um, oh, did they? Yeah, they think they, they, the fact that you know Disney. Good. Uh, well, you know, at the same time, it's it's you know. Oh, I maybe we didn't see the same Baby Yoda stuff, but the stuff I saw was awful well, for the most part. I saw one or two good things, but the rest of it was just like okay, oh. okay. Well, I, I saw a couple that did were. Did you take your dryer lint and make that? Uh, I saw a couple that were actually fairly cute, but uh, but anyway, oh, you know. It's, so again, you know, <laughs> Disney did cease and desist letters back in '55. Disney did cease and desist letters and. In uh, you know, uh, two thousand. Because you know, I'm I'm still seeing ads for really bad stuff, but or or lapel pins of the child mm-hmm. to raise autism awareness. Oh, okay. I'm like, okay, so what charity does the money go to? Oh no, it's not going to a charity. It's just to raise awareness. There uh, are there are always people there's like a that. Reason. But anyway, uh, other. Uh, parallels and this is probably reaching at this point but face it you know music played a big factor in you know the the popularity of of davy crockett and the mandalorian i mean the ballad of davy crockett it was actually on it was the number one song in america for like six weeks i mean may 26th through may 14th of 1955 and on the other hand, uh, Walt Disney Records has made the score to each individual episode of The Mandalorian, uh, including, of, of course, you know the, the, all the work that Bill Conti has done for the the TV series, uh, available for purchase, you know, as, as digital downloads. And I understand those are selling well, but uh, oh, that's great. Yeah, and and the other thing is, you know, again, we don't talk about things like that enough. Well, we try. You know, and we'll get better at this as the show goes along. But hey, we actually showed up this time. That we did. Okay, so <laughs> seventy-five years separate these two pop culture phenomenons. Again, uh, David Crockett, Indian Fighter, uh, aired on ABC December fifteenth, nineteen fifty-four, and the first half episode of The Mandalorian aired on Disney Plus on uh, November twelfth, two thousand nineteen. So one month shy of seventy-five years. Uh, and as you mentioned, on uh, December 27th, uh, John Favreau revealed through Twitter that Mandalorian has been renewed for second season. Uh, but again, downside, as you also mentioned, Michelle, that, that we're not going to see new episodes of this limited series on Disney Plus till the fall of 2020. You know what that reminds me of? 25 years ago, there was a book put out by a friend of ours, The Davy Crockett Craze. Mm-hmm. Yes, Paul Anderson did some great, great work. Paul F. Anderson, yep. that's right. If you have a chance to dig that one up someplace, it's a great read. Yeah, I, I would imagine. It ate the world, <laughs> culture-wise. It, it did. It really did. And, you know, might make for an interesting reference guide for certain people at Disney when it comes to what's about to happen next with The Mandalorian. Anyway, Michelle, so. long story short, probably not the last time. We're going to talk about the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. I have Yoda. a feeling. Yeah, but I uh, sense it in the Force. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll tell you what. If uh, until we record 
a new episode of I Want That and talk about Baby Yoda. Where else can people find you online? Right now I'm writing a rumor column on Mice Chat and also a little fab news there. Oh, very cool. Okay. Here at Jimmy Media, we got a couple of other podcasts you might be interested in. Uh, Disney Dish with Len Testo. We've got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. Uh, Marvel Us Disney with the amazing Aaron Adams, gentleman who edits a number of podcasts here. Uh, we also have uh, Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. Dustin Fuse and I do a show called Universal Joint about the other theme park. Uh, and, of course, the show you're listening to right now. I want that. Tell you what, if you could do myself and Michelle a favor, folks, uh, and head over to iTunes and rate and recommend this show, that helps get us additional eyeballs and ears. Uh, likewise, if you really, really, really like what you hear, you know, if you could subscribe to Bandcamp, uh, well, that, that'll make it possible for us to get together $24.99 to buy multiple you know, baby Yodas. But again, is that really a thing now? Has twenty four ninety nine become the new ninety nine? Nine ninety nine. Nine ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, I thought it was kind of cool that it, they were only twenty four ninety nine for the magic bands because usually magic band, special magic bands are twenty nine ninety nine. I didn't know that. Okay. See, yeah. see, you learn things by listening to this show. Anyway, <laughs> folks. Uh, again, I hope you enjoyed listening to this latest edition, and Michelle and I will be back with a new show very soon. Uh, Till then, take care.